the most valuable thing you can take from a mentor is to be in the same room as them. If you're in the same room as that person, you're gonna soak up subconscious knowledge that they can't verbally teach you. That's brilliant insight that I've never actually heard before about mentorship. Ladies and gentlemen, today on The Greatest Stories Never Told, we got my main man, Nicholas Cole. This guy started off his career at the age of 14 as a professional gamer. He was one of the biggest nerds in the world playing World of Warcraft at a competitive level, kicking everyone's ass on that battlefield. Then he took it into the real world, becoming a champion bodybuilder and one of the top writers on the entire internet. He's one of the most read writers on the site Quora. He's been number one on that site for many years. On Medium, he has one of the most popular blogs. And what I love about Cole is he has a system for writing that I have personally learned a lot from. And if you wanna learn how to tell stories yourself, how to create the type of messaging, writing, and storytelling that grabs people's attention so they cannot stop reading, then you are gonna love today's episode with Nicholas Cole. My first year of college, I went to the University of Missouri and I showed up to my first journalism class, like a big auditorium, 500 people. And the professor is explaining to us that the internet is a fad and that real journalism will never die. And uh, blogging is not authentic journalism and it has no space in our future, right? And I'm sitting there and I, I already, being a gamer, I already had one of the most read gaming blogs on the internet. Oh, so you started writing about your gaming. Yes, that was how I originally got into writing online. Okay, and was that more uh, storytelling, instructional? It was half, um, I'm gonna give you strategies because I'm one of the highest ranked players. Okay. And it was the other half me shit talking other players and getting a lot of attention because I was just a loudmouth teenager, ah, right? Nice. And I learned that by using certain strategies on the internet, like I understood what got people's attention, right? So yeah. I would start drama so that people would read my blog. Oh, hilarious. And um, so I'm sitting in that class my freshman year and my teacher's saying this, and I can't, I couldn't disagree with him more because he's basically saying, like as a joke, he's like, you would need 10,000 people reading your blog every day to be considered credible or to be considered, you know, a source on okay. the internet. And, and everyone kind of laughed and he's like, and no one would have 10,000 readers, like not even, you know, big columnists have 10,000 readers a day. And I raised my hand and I was like, I have 10,000 readers. Granted, they're not, you know, highly educated individuals. These are all just 15 year olds that are hardcore gamers, but I had 10,000 people reading my blog every day. Mm. So I transferred schools and was like, I'm because ditching of that, journalism. You're too outdated. I have no belief in this. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying these stories as much as I am. I want to know from you, who should I interview next? Maybe it's your favorite celebrity, your favorite athlete, your favorite author, or just someone you know who has a story that's never been told before. Comment below. Let me know who it is. And then hit that subscribe button so you get notified when I interview the person that you pick. All right. Cole, so excited to have you in the studio, my man. Thanks for having How me. How you living? Good. All right, all right. So... You and I are great friends. We get together once a week or so to exchange ideas. I learn something new every time I talk to you. As do I. 
but you've got this whole crazy background that you and I have never really dove into before. So I'm excited to find out more on camera. And then at the end of this episode, we're going to drop some of this knowledge on you all. Some of the things that Cole has figured out that's made him one of the top writers on the entire freaking web. Things that I've seen him teach to people that they've been able to use right away to increase the power of their writing and storytelling. So thanks for being willing to share all this with the audience today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the show is called Greatest Stories Never Told. And I'm really curious about your story because you were at the top of a world that a lot of people hear about, which is the professional video gaming world. But not all of us know much about video games other than the Atari and Mario Kart and you know maybe a little bit of Mortal Kombat at the arcade. Great game. But you were playing World of Warcraft starting what? How old were you? 14 when I started. Okay. Yeah. And you were a champion. Like do you not, get a, not at 14, you, but yeah. Okay. Do you get a ring? I like, did not what? get a ring. I, okay. got, I got no social accolades. For no my, social accolades. <laughs> no ring. Yeah. No, is there a Hall of Fame? Does there, World, of, World of Warcraft have a Hall of Fame? Uh, maybe now. Maybe now there, okay. there is. But yeah, when I was when I was playing, this was right before esports became a thing. Got it. So pretty much the year I quit, about nine months later esports became a term okay and then two years after youtube and the whole concept of streaming started to happen so i was i was very early you I, missed the boat i missed the boat you would have been famous i probably would have been yeah got it and, okay and i that was a challenge for me because i then those couple of years after i kept asking myself should i go back oh should i keep playing yes yes go you back know. get that spotlight get yeah. that get that ring yeah exactly because yeah. i was watching uh teenagers become millionaires on the internet really yeah i mean these it went from that we're playing at your level yeah okay, like people it. i competed against mm -hmm. that kept playing they were the ones who all of a sudden were these like superstars and you're like, I used to kick that dude's yeah. ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to throw mana at him and shit. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it okay. was it was this it was very conflicting for me because I realized I had essentially been too early. I'd missed the boat. Mm. And I was nineteen at the time and okay. I had left for college. And, you're, and by that time you're like a senior citizen in the video gaming world, right? I mean, actually kind of in a sense, like a lot of those people were yeah. young when okay. they started. How does one's parents uh, allow their kid to invest the they time don't. that it takes to become a world of Warcraft yeah. champion because it's intensive, it's right? Huge, yeah. I would imagine. Very intensive. Okay. It, it, it is without question one of the most time time consuming things you can pursue. So how did it start? Because I have played the game. Oh, you have? Yeah, I think back when I was, I don't know. It's been around a long time. Yeah, it's been around like 15 years. Yeah, so, oh, is that it? Yeah. What was the one before then? They had a whole series called Warcraft. They yeah, like okay, so I played Warcraft like, okay. I don't know, that was maybe 20, 20, years 20 25 ago. years ago, yeah. And I didn't even like advance in levels, yeah. you know? It seemed like a, a puzzle I couldn't figure out. Yeah. So how did you realize that you were good and that it was something that you wanted to take seriously or is it just so damn addicting that you couldn't help yourself? You, so this is the great debate because everyone thinks you know, they always blame the thing. They blame the game or right. whatever it is. It's not that the game was the reason that I played it. Like, yeah, the game was addicting and it was great, but I chose to make the game what I wanted it to be. 
Okay. You know, are you talking about designing your own character? Yeah, with and an I, outfit and sunglasses. And <laughs> maybe he was a little cooler than you were in real life. Hunt, like way cooler than I was in real life. But Mohawk. Okay. I, yeah, but what I mean is, I I chose to treat it like a sport, and very few people treated it like a sport. They treated it like a game. Ah, right. So, so you'd be like, I'm getting up at five a.m. I'm gonna put the reps in. I'm yes. gonna go mine for gold or whatever. Yeah, you do in and this that's okay. that's the hard thing to differentiate because for a 15 year old or a 16 year old on the surface those two things look identical right to a parent they look like well how do i know if you're just playing the game or how do i know if you're going to make something out of it and that's really hard to differentiate and for me i genuinely wanted to make something out of it like the story i'll tell you I'll tell you the story is um there was a point in the game when i realized i was about like 15 years old and i realized that i wanted to become a professional gamer. I had just uh, fractured my spine playing hockey. So I had a stress fracture at the bottom of my spine. So I had to give up. My dream was play in the NHL. Couldn't play in the NHL. Oh, damn. So all of a sudden, I had this huge void in my life. And Wait, I was, where'd you grow up? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, outside Chicago in a suburb. Okay, because California, we don't see hockey yeah, except no. for, you know, on a faraway TV screen. Yeah. yeah so okay. hockey was popular in Chicago. Okay. And I grew up playing and my whole dream was I wanted to play in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Fractured my spine and realized that was never going to happen. So Wow, I, fractured your spine. Yeah. That sounds serious. And it wasn't even, I didn't even do something cool. You oh, know, okay. like, yeah. oh, I was scoring a goal and I, yeah. like, I just fell in practice and I fell okay. a weird way. And, um, and so what happened is I decided, I'm this very driven person, I wanted to pour that energy into something else. So I had been playing this game and I, for whatever reason, I was like, I have to pour it into something. I'm going to pour it into this game. And I knew that in order for me to get better, I needed to learn from a player that was better than me. I've always kind of in inherently understood this idea of, of having a mentor. Okay. So what I did is I found this player on another server. I had seen his videos. He had published videos on the internet. And I went on his server and I made a whole new character. And I said, if I level this character to level 60, which takes months of work, like, this was going to be a huge time investment. Okay. I said, if I level this character on your server, will you teach me? And his, does he get points if you do it on no, his server? No, this or is something? purely like me messaging another okay. human being, being like, okay. and he's and he kind of laughed at me and was like, "There's no way you're going to do that. You're not going to invest all that time. But you know what? If you do it, then sure." To make sure, there's a, I forget what the the quote is. You burn the boats. Right, I forget where mm -hmm. it comes from. Cortez, I think. Yes. Um, the whole idea is you burn the boat so that way there's no other option. Yeah. So I had already invested two thousand hours into this game. I deleted my character. I burned the boats. Wait, why did you delete that character? So that I would be forced to level a new character on this other guy's server. Why so did you I, just move the old character? You over? couldn't. That was the thing: is once you had it on a server, you couldn't. Wait, what is a server? It. A server is like a neighborhood. So, okay, you know, you can only okay. play with the people in your neighborhood. Basically. Oh, I see. How many people are in each neighborhood? Five, 10,000 people. Got it. You know, so okay. you have tons of servers and okay. hundreds of millions of people. Uh, what level were you on? In the 60 was the highest. That's You were at 60 at the yeah. other one. So you're like, I'm going to start a new thing Starting in your hood. Starting completely new. So you can be on his team? No, just so I could learn from someone that I wanted to learn from. Why wouldn't he just teach you already? Because you're already at level 60. So this is, so this translates to a different about mentorship right later in my life i've learned that the most valuable thing you can take from a mentor is to be in the same room as them yeah right yeah if you're in the same room as that person you're going to soak up 
subconscious knowledge that they can't verbally teach you. That's brilliant insight that I've never actually heard before about mentorship, okay. but it was true for me. Totally true, right? Yes. So as some part of me as a 15-year-old understood, I couldn't just send this guy messages and have him explain to me how to get better. I needed to play next to him. Okay. Even if you up. weren't on team, it's just... Yeah, yeah. yeah I needed to soak up the knowledge. Okay. I burned the boats. Okay. Made a new character. Okay. Invested hundreds of hours into leveling it. We ended up becoming great friends over the internet. I How old up, was this guy? He was maybe a year older than me. I okay. think he was 16. I was 15. Was this guy like the god of Warcraft? Yeah, he was like one of the best players in the world at what the time. What was his screen name? Uh, his name was Kacheksik. Shout out if you're watching. And... Uh, and so I started playing with him and what I was learned, your name? I learned my name at the time was um, I think my first name was Firefunk. 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 And nice. then the, and then my like elevated once I was like, I'm taking this seriously was Exatech. Exatech. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I made it up. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and he ended up teaching me and we became great friends and I he didn't teach me because he verbalized it. He taught me because we played together so okay, much. Okay, so is it like strategy or moves? I don't know that much about how the game works, but is it shooting people? No, or no. Or is it putting it's armies like, um, together? And things you like can that? see your character and you're, you're, uh, it's very strategic because each character only has certain abilities. Okay. And so if you use an ability that does something to me, I have to know how to respond to that. So okay. that way I can beat you right okay so are you placing armies to fight each other no is this is just one character and one character okay got it and um he was the one who taught me and i ended up becoming one of the highest ranked players in the country because of him oh wow did you ever fight your teacher like they do in the movies where you get to the point where it's like then you like you guys have to fight each other we 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 dueled a lot that's mm -hmm. how we would train okay each other um and yeah and i ended up you know, then the game evolved and, you know, then like 2v2 came out and 3v3 came out and all of these other tiers where you can play with other people and compete. And I ended up surpassing him and ended up climbing to the top oh, wow. of the ladder. And that whole experience from, you know, 14 to 18 and reliving and thinking about that journey is how is what I've applied to then everything else that I've done. What's he still what's he doing now? Is he still playing? Uh, honest, I honestly don't know. Okay. I fell out of touch with a lot of people. And, okay. Um, I mean, this was 15 years ago, you know? The game's still huge, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Still millions of people play. And if you went on there now, would you get your ass kicked because of the new advances and like, yeah. the leveling up? Because that's how poker is. Yeah, completely. Like, online poker is new so wildly um, more difficult mm -hmm. because now there's more people teaching than ever before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, game, the game's changed so much. It's not the same game anymore. Mm. Um, but the life lessons hold true, right? Yeah. Like after going through all of that, you know, the second phase I ended up getting into is bodybuilding. And I literally just like copy pasted the whole experience. You know, I was like, I'm starting at level one again. I need to find a mentor again. I need ah. to create a routine again. I and so what are the steps? Is there a, a step? I, I can see see that you have some. Yeah. But let's dive in. So Let's say you were going to start uh, violin. That's funny. My sister's a violinist. Yeah. Oh, okay. Funny. I, so, I didn't say piano because I know you play a little yeah, bit of yeah. piano. So maybe that's not a good thing. What do we say archery? I was we were shooting okay. arrows before we yep. got on this podcast. So let's say you decided to become a professional archer. Yep. What do you do? So step one is realizing that 
anytime something presents itself, um, you have the choice of whether or not you want to pursue it. So archery presented itself, right? I came over one day, you're like, hey, I got an archery set. Do you want to, do you want to play it? Right. In some way, I believe that's you know the universe being like, hey, you've never done this thing before. Here you go. Okay. Make what you want out of that, right? Okay. So step one is acknowledging that that experience even happens because now you have the conscious thought, do I want to become an archer or don't I? Let's say we do archery and I go, I am fascinated by this. I want to become an archer. Okay. Step one is, or I guess step two then is, well, how do I practice on my own? I get my own archery set, right? And then I put in a few hours and I like kind of start doing it. Step three is then going, I need to spend a lot of time around other people who are better than me. So now it's Got my it. responsibility to go find, you know, maybe you're taking archery really seriously. Okay. I am incentivized to come over and hang out with you as much as possible so that I can soak up your knowledge about archery. So is the first group that you meet in your new venture just a little bit better than you? Because you're not going to reach out to the Olympic gold medalist archer yeah. right away, yep. right? Yep. They're always... Or you are? No. They're okay. always just a little bit better than just you. Just a little bit better than you. Yep. Okay. And then what happens over time is that gap gets wider and wider. So usually, whenever you're introduced to something by anyone, the person who's introducing it to you is like one level higher than you are. Right? right, you're a total beginner, and they're like, "I've been doing this for three weeks." Right. Otherwise, they won't introduce you. Exactly. Because they'd be too good. Exactly. Like if I was an Olympic archer, you, you and I couldn't shoot together. Yeah. Because I'd be, you know, shooting from the back of a horse blindfolded. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. And even with the bow that you had, right? You were. I was like, "Oh, this must be right." An it wouldn't be one. usable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um. So that's a great point. Then once you get to where their level is then the next person's probably gonna be like two levels higher than you. So then there's a little bit bigger of a gap. And the reason that that person is willing to teach you is because they see that you've already done one level on your own. Gotcha, they see that you're serious about they the They see game. that you've done something, so right. they wanna invest in you. Right, right? the gold medalist isn't gonna train a fresh newbie unless it's like his little cousin or something. Exactly. But a gold medalist will train someone who's gotten who's all like of those a, levels. Yeah. And is who's here. like the teen gold medalist and wants to be the adult gold medalist. Exactly. Like that. So that's why it's so, everyone's always like, you know, how do I get a mentor? Or how do I get someone to teach me? But they don't realize that A, those people are around you already. You don't mm. need the gold medalist to teach you. Mm. You just need the person that's just one level, higher, one level than higher than you. Right. Awesome. And this is true with anything. True with anything. And then second is realizing that it's not about the other person teaching you. It's mm -hmm. about you doing the work yourself and then getting to the point where you've hit the next level. So then the next person can teach you and the next person can teach you. Right. So like in a way, that's why when you were one of the first people I met in L.A. Yeah, that's that's why we vibe, because if you had met me four years ago before I had written anything on the internet, you would have been like, eh, you know? Yeah. Maybe there's not a lot of reciprocal knowledge here. Right. But when you were, and I were introduced, I was introduced to you as this is Cole. I'd He's already got one of the top writers in this domain. Yep. Craig, you're one of the top writers in this domain. Maybe you guys can vibe. Yep. We did. So, exactly. Yeah. Cool.
That's really fascinating. So bodybuilding, you decided to do this mm -hmm. at a serious level. When did you look in the mirror and say, hey, I want to become super ripped and become a bodybuilder? Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first. Because most people just want to get in shape and look good to get girls. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I was, so I didn't know that I had um, celiac disease till I was 18. Mm. So I grew up really sick and very underweight and skinny. And um, when I found out what it was, I learned a lot about food because I had to essentially change everything I was eating. And this was in 2008. So gluten-free like didn't exist. Right. So now it's a thing. Now but, you can go eat at yeah. a lot of restaurants, especially in LA, yep. and have them switch it out. Yeah, but in 2008, that right. didn't exist. And so when I started looking up food, it was basically like you can eat chicken, <laughs> rice, and vegetables. And I had a really hard time struggling, or I had a hard time um, adjusting to that. And so I feel like one of the ways that I coped with that was being like, I'm going to take this thing that is a burden or a challenge and I'm going to turn it into fuel for something else. So when I was reading about food, a lot of the articles that I would, that I would read would say, you know, chicken, rice, and broccoli is what bodybuilders eat. And so all of a sudden I had okay. this aha where I was like, okay, if I have to eat this way, you might as well I might as well become a bodybuilder, right? So I, I basically did that and just went all in that direction and was, and it was hard too, you know, I just was going off to college and you're that guy in the room where everyone's like, let's order pizza. And I'm like, I'm allergic, right? Ah. Or let's all drink beer. And I'm like, I can't drink that. So I had this other part where I realized that I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere and I didn't really, you know, I wasn't cool socially. So the way that I kind of coped with that was, well, then I'm just going to get ripped. Oh, gotcha. It was like, I'll, I'll show them you know, in a way. Yeah. And Ooh. also, and then me making light of this thing that I had to do. Gotcha. So, yeah. Oh, and then you could also, in the social setting, say, oh, I'm not eating that because I'm a bodybuilder. Exactly. And you didn't have to. I didn't have to talk about the allergy. It could feel like a weakness. Yep. When you're that age. Yep. Got it. So, yeah, that's a great, exactly. Instead of saying, oh, I'm allergic, I'm like, no, no, don't you see? Like, I don't, yeah. eat, I don't eat that. Have you, you know, gotten the tickets to the gun show? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I did that, and I did that for five, six years, and I I went from being a hundred pounds and looking like a skeleton to being one hundred and eighty pounds and lifting with you know. You doubled your weight. Oh, I put on eighty pounds of muscle. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Wow. I I then. Okay, we're gonna find some pictures and splice them yeah, into this yeah. interview if we can. Because I you got some right. Yeah, yeah. The okay, end cool. of the any end of you the, in like the mankini. None in the mankini. Okay. I didn't do that. Okay. But um So you didn't compete. I didn't compete. But you did it for you. I did it for me. That's and I great. got I got to a point where a bunch of my friends competed. Um, same thing, right? The first you, guy in the gym was one level higher than me. Yeah. But by the time I was done, I was lifting with professional bodybuilders and power lifters and people because wow. I had gotten to that level. Yeah. Um how many hours a day are you in the gym? I was I was lifting three or four hours a day. Shut up. Yeah. And seven days a week? Six consistently, sometimes seven. And what does that mean? Does that mean you're going in there and you're working on chest for 30 minutes, and then you're working on like your rhomboids? Or... Yeah, I lifted with by by the last like three years, I lifted with pretty pretty hardcore 
people and we would go in there and there's one guy I lifted with, um, give him a shout out, C3 Muscle on Instagram. And he's, he's an animal and he, he taught me so much and he's a power lifter. You know, now he squats 650 pounds reps and he's just, and um, we would go in there and we'd spend three hours on benching. Really? And then the next day. Just refining the form yep. and doing all different types of weights. And yep. Going weight, up. Different ways of doing the down. movement, like incline, decline. And, yep. Oh, wow. Next day, we'd do three hours of just back. Next day, we'd do three hours of just biceps and triceps. Wow. I mean, it was, um, but it was fun and it became my social group. So while okay. everyone else in college was, I'm going to go out and party. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drink. I'm going to do whatever. I was studying creative writing and I was lifting three or four hours a day and I was eating six, seven meals a day. And that Jeez. was my college experience. That was your college. So yep. you were, well, it's funny to me that seeing how successful you are now, you've always had this pro mentality. Yep. So even with World of Warcraft, you were treating it like a pro. Yeah. And then bodybuilding, you were treating it like a pro. Yep. Which means on and off the field, Yep. Off the field, you're doing the eating right. You're doing the scheduling and making it the priority. Yep. Same with the world of Warcraft. You were doing the scheduling. Mm -hmm. And now I know that you write like a fucking... A lot. Like tornado, man. Yeah. So you... Uh, I guess we'll bounce around a little bit, but you have a post that I love, and it's called How I Write 10,000 Words a Day. Mm-hmm. And most days you write 10,000 words. I write a lot, yeah. Which is insane output. Yep. Like I'm a professional writer, at least by trade. Yeah. And I mean, it takes me like three weeks to write 10,000 words. It's, it's definitely a, a different approach. Some people agree with it. Some people don't agree with it. I think I've also learned about my, I'm like a huge perfectionist. So I have to really fight that in myself yeah so output is how i have learned to overcome perfectionism oh, so instead of sitting like with it time and, put in yeah also? like instead of obsessing over one thing mm -hmm. i just go one thing i did it you know one thing i did it and then if it's a really special idea i'll, I'll sit with it longer but okay i try and i'm a big believer in just practicing by doing yeah. and not by like sitting and just like waiting Mm. Okay, so let's jump back into your story now. So you're in college, mm -hmm. you're crushing it in the gym. You could probably crush tin cans in your bare hands at this point. How did the writing thing come about? Um, so I went to my first year of college, I studied journalism at University of Missouri. Okay, so you had some thoughts to be in the writing space. Yeah, I, I was never good in school, and I the only thing that I could do was write, essentially. I couldn't do math. But I, you got into college, so you were decent? I, I guess, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, my first year of college, I went to University of Missouri, and I showed up to my first journalism class, like a big auditorium, 500 people. And the professor is explaining to us that the internet is a fad, and that real journalism will never die and uh, blogging is not authentic journalism and it has no space in our future right and I'm sitting there and I, I already being a gamer I already had one of the most read gaming blogs on the internet oh so you time. started writing about your gaming yes that was how I originally got into writing online okay and was that more 
uh, storytelling, instructional? It was half, um, I'm going to give you strategies because I'm one of the highest ranked players. Okay. And it was the other half me shit talking other players and getting a lot of attention because I was just a loudmouth teenager. Ah, right. Nice. And I learned that by using certain strategies on the internet, like I understood what got people's attention, right? So yeah. I would start drama so that people would read my blog. Oh, hilarious. And um, so I'm sitting in that class my freshman year and my teacher's saying this and I can't, I couldn't disagree with him more because he's basically saying like as a joke, he's like, you would need 10,000 people reading your blog every day to be considered credible or to be considered, you know, a source on okay. the internet. And, and everyone kind of laughed and he's like, and no one would have 10,000 readers, like not even, you know, big columnists have 10,000 readers a day. And I raised my hand and I was like, I have 10,000 readers. Granted, they're not, you know, highly educated individuals. These are all just 15 year olds that are hardcore gamers, but I had 10,000 people reading my blog every day. Mm. So I transferred schools and was like, I'm because ditching of that, journalism. Yeah. Just too outdated. I have no belief in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and studied fiction writing instead at Columbia wow. in Chicago. So I was doing fiction writing and bodybuilding. Okay. And um, Did the, the fantasy gaming thing spark a desire for fiction? Not really. Okay. I, I honestly have never really been big into like fantasy series. Like I love Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and stuff, but mm -hmm. I'm not like a fantasy writer. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's it's weird. Whenever I get into something, I'm so hyper focused, and then like, never that thing again. Like I haven't played any other game other than World of Warcraft. Ah, like it that was it. Okay. So with bodybuilding, um, I started writing about lifting. So I kind of did the same thing, and I was like, I'm gonna leave my teenage angst behind me. I'm gonna teach people how I got ripped. Yes. And then at the same time, I'm gonna like tell stories and just share things along my own journey. Okay. Not quite as drama filled as my teenage years, but yeah. you know, a little bit more mature. Okay. And and that was then the first thing that um had me go viral. I wrote an answer on Quora. So I had read that article of yours that had went viral before we met. Yeah. I remember so when that. I was introduced, I was like, oh I think I know this guy. I think I read about it. Yeah. It was um I I it was a very short answer. Um uh, and it was to this question on Quora, is it possible to change yourself so much that you no longer recognize yourself? Mm. And I remember, this is why I believe so much in the output mentality, is um, at the beginning of that year, we can fill in the gap later, but at the beginning of that year, I challenged myself to write one Quora answer every day for a year straight. Because I had graduated from college and I had essentially decided I want to become a professional writer and no one is telling me how to do that i need to figure out how to how, how i'm going to do this for myself gotcha and for people who don't know quora is a place where you can go and type a question and people from all around the world including some of the top experts mm -hmm. in all kinds of different fields will put answers in there so i have a buddy who's a cosmetic surgeon mm -hmm. and he will go in and answer questions like you know what is it recovery time from a nose job yep. look like and there will be bodybuilding questions and there will be marketing questions. There will be people like, you know, what's the best way to get rich in your 20s? Mm -hmm. uh, what is the 
craziest thing that's ever happened to you on an airplane and then like a pilot will answer yeah yeah his story will blow everyone's mind you know so core is an amazing place to browse around and learn and share your expertise or just your anecdotes if mm -hmm. you have interesting encounters like like some of the celebrity encounters on there are, are crazy i think every celebrity has a quora column where it's like you know, what are some of the we weirdest uh, Bill Things, Murray stories? Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or uh, have you met Donald Trump in person? What is he like? <laughs> yeah. There's a zillion of those, you know. Yep. Very polarizing. So. It's, it, I, I read that site for six months before I wrote anything. Mm. I was fascinated by it. Um, but yeah, essentially, that was the conclusion is I was like, I need to build myself if I want to become a writer. So I challenged myself to write every day and uh, I remember where I was and just... That was your writing challenge. That was my writing so challenge. So you're like, I'm going to commit to writing every day by answering one question on Quora every day. Yep. And okay. it didn't really matter how long it was. How short, I just... The habit, right? This is another one of those mastery... I learned this gaming. I learned it bodybuilding. Like, every day. Every day. Every day. You must do it every single day. You must seven do it days a day. week to build the habit. Yes. And the skill set. Yep. Okay. Even if it's... Even if you're like, I'm so busy today, I can only do it for 15 minutes. It's the fact that you touched it for 15 minutes that associates with your brain. I'm, I'm mm. touching it every day. My friend who is a professional drummer, when I told him I was learning piano, that mm. was his piece of advice to me. He said, touch the piano every day. Yep. So even if it's just for five minutes, just touch it every day. Yeah, there's something that happens when you do that. And so I remember I was leaving work. Um, side story how serious I was about me committing to mastering writing and being a professional writer is I didn't allow myself to have internet in my apartment for four years. So Whoa. from the moment I graduated college to the moment I quit my job, which was about three years ago, I did not have internet in my apartment. And the reason was because I knew that if I worked you know, I had to take the train at eight to be at work by nine, work till five or six, take the train, be home at seven. If I had internet, I was going to go home, watch YouTube videos for two hours, yeah. pass out, and then do it again. And I would what never. What was your job? I was working at a marketing agency. I was okay. doing copywriting. So you worked at, uh, or so you wrote by day, but. It was like, you know, write a, write a tagline for this or like edit a proposal for this. That's not. Not anything that was sparking your passion. Yeah. Okay. And so I realized very quickly that if I didn't do something with those last two hours in my day, this was my life, right? Like, I might get a promotion, I might get a little pay raise, but like, I'm working at a marketing agency, and that's my life. Got it. So I deprived myself of internet, and every night would come home and write and practice my craft. And um, basically, uh, when I wrote that answer, I was leaving work one day. And I really didn't want to write my core answer for the day. But I just wrote these two quick paragraphs. And I put a before and after picture at the top. Me at, you know, 16, 17 years old, really skinny, kind of S-curve in my back. like, And then me as a bodybuilder. And it went front page of Reddit, did over a million views in like 48 hours, and just went crazy. And all these people were sending me emails saying, you know, how did you get from here to here? And that was the first time that I realized writing is not about, uh, you know, people that are aspiring writers, they think it very selfishly. I want to write what I want to write about. Yes. 
And it is about what you want to write about, but it's also about what the other person is wondering. Yes. It's about answering it's their, their dreams, question. their hopes, desires, what they want. Exactly. That's what I tell people when they're writing books yep. that are educational or instructional. People want the result. They yep. don't really want to read the book. Yep. When I was doing dating advice writing, which was, as you know, my start in mm -hmm. copywriting, I got to go to a seminar where John Carlton was speaking. He's one of the great copywriters of all time. Mm. And I got up to ask John a question. I don't remember what it was, but it was some type of advice on selling these, these books with dating help for men. Mm. And he said, Craig, you have to remember, no one wants your book. They want to take a pill and wake up with a hot blonde. They don't want to read a 200-page book and have to go practice and go get dates and mm. you know get rejected and go through all this. They just want the end results. And that always stuck with me. Yeah. And it sounds like that particular thing that you wrote about, that particular question, how can you change yourself to a way that is un That is uh, so unlike who you are. Yeah. Th that is so result-based. Yep. It's like the biggest result there is. And anyone who's reading that question wants to know how to get a result from themselves. Exactly. How to change themselves. So how would people look that up if they want to find that? What do they type in exactly on Google if they want to read that post? Because I think it's really fascinating. I'm pretty sure that's the question. Is it possible to change yourself so much that you no longer recognize yourself? Okay, gotcha. And I if think. they type in Nicholas Cole, yeah. will that come up top 10 page results also? Um, probably not. Because you've got so much yeah. stuff now. But if you search that question, that question, then it'll pop up. Or we can put it in the show notes and people can you know, click to it. Okay, awesome. But, but yeah, exactly what you said. So what that unlocked for me is what I've since referred to as the golden intersection. So the golden intersection for me is everything that you are expressing in the world, everything that you write, and this goes, for me, this goes for every medium, music, writing, sales, like anything that is outward expression, is that you have to answer the person's question while simultaneously telling them a story so that they remember the answer, right? So this was a storytelling technique that I learned uh, with fiction writing is we would do this exercise where you would imagine um, you know, something in a room or someone would read the scene that they had written and then you would ask everyone around the circle, what was it that you remembered about that scene? And the things that people remembered were always visual and they were always rooted in some sort of story. Mm. And so pulling that and combining that with what I learned on Quora, everyone on, on Quora, everyone on the internet says, I have a question, right? How do I get the date? How do I get rich? How do I get happy? How do I get something? Right. And if you answer their question while simultaneously telling them a story, you are sitting in that intersection where they go, not only am I going to remember this, but I now see you as the source of my information. This is so amazing. And going meta here on this podcast, that is why I have such high hopes for this podcast, The Greatest Stories Never Told, and why it's about stories and not like the greatest life techniques. Exactly. Or the greatest ways to you know do X, Y, and Z. No, it's the greatest stories because people are going to, hear these stories and that is going to engage them yep. and allow them to remember the takeaways so that they can then apply them versus if you and I just got here 
and just chopped it up, revealing a bunch of writing techniques. Yeah, it goes. Like some people would listen, but it's not nearly as captivating hearing about your story of how your post went viral mm -hmm. and millions of people read it in 48 hours and how you didn't even want to write the thing in the first place and the, the struggle that got you to make that change in your life in the first place. It's fascinating stuff that engages the mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are built on stories. I'm so happy we're doing this episode because this is, this is yeah. what the show's all about. And it's, yeah. it's um, building on that point, it's the reason why uh, I continue to tell the same stories over and over again because what ends up happening is uh, I believe every person has what I call core narratives. So the core narratives of who you are are what people most quickly associate about you. Right, so every person has a couple of them. Right? Yes, and you're and, like go tos, or your. So for you, it would be like ex gamer, ex bodybuilder, top writer. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone okay. knows that. Right? Got it. And so when that, you, and it's that simple, right? Yes. Like for me, it would be like writer, uh, started a successful company, entrepreneur. Uh, you know, in a good relationship. Yep. Uh, that that would be like the the top three probably. Yeah. Okay. Got so it. what happens is you have, everyone has, you know, these three to five core narratives. And the more times that you reinforce that for someone, the more that they associate that as, well, that's who that person is. And so what you do is essentially, if you want to scale and have everyone know who you are, what you do is you take those core narratives and then you tell endless stories about each one of them, right? So I've written hundreds of articles about here are the life lessons I learned from gaming. Here's what I learned about work ethic from gaming. Here are the habits I learned from gaming. But all of them point back to core narrative gamer. And then you get all of the gaming audience. Exactly. Which is fucking massive and brilliant. Because if you just write, here's what I learned about work ethic. Yeah. There's that doesn't... a zillion articles that it gets lost in. Yep. But if it's here's what I learned about work ethic from gaming, it has differentiation points yep. and grabs that audience. And then you can do the same so, thing for bodybuilding and then the same thing uh, for entrepreneurship and then the same thing for. So you're speaking to that specific person because the lesson from gaming is the same fundamental lesson as right. entrepreneurship. But if I try and tell it through a gaming lens to an entrepreneur, they're going to be like, that's cool, but I don't, I don't really get it. So you have to find the fundamental things that you're trying to say and then attach the specific story to each one of them so that it resonates with the person you're talking to. Right. Though there could be that curiosity mm -hmm. invocation that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Like if someone wrote, like what I learned about gratitude by being attacked by a shark. Like, okay. Very universal. This is interesting. Yeah. Scary, freaky. I got to hear what this guy has to say. Yeah. Because it's just sparking that curiosity so much. Mm -hmm. You know, but if it's like what I learned from gratitude by um, video gaming, I mean, I guess there's, I guess anything, if you put it, you know what this reminds me of? Is these headline generators? Have you ever tried them? It's yeah. like the viral headline generators. I've, I've some built of them one. are fascinating. You built them? I, well, I built one for myself. No way. Yeah, because I I've learned. So when I spoke at your event, 
uh, like six months ago, nine months ago. You remember that? Yes. Um, when I was speaking, I, I said it and I had never vocalized it this way and it stuck with me so much is that the size of the question dictates the size of the audience. Okay, so what you just said is, you know, what did I, what I learned about gratitude, dot, dot, dot. Gratitude is about as like universal of a word as it gets, right? right. So that is a huge question, which means the audience is massive. But if you say, you know, what I learned about uh, killing termites, right? Like people, like 99.9% .9 of people are like, I don't care about termites ever. So why would I pay attention to this? That's a very niche question. Yes. So when the whole secret to, you know, vi viral headline generators and all of that is all you're doing is you're, t you're taking what is the thing I actually want to talk about? And what is the biggest possible question that I could attach it to? Right. Mm. What I what I learned about gratitude by building a seven figure company. I really want to tell I really want to talk about building a seven figure company, but I'm going to ask a bigger question so that I can get more people's attention. Ah, interesting. Do you, do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And these generators are fascinating. So I was selling a lot of probiotics at the time, and it tells you to put in one word, and it's going to come up with headlines for it. And I put in the word probiotics just to see what it would say. Hmm. And one of the headlines that spit out was, what Taylor Swift doesn't want you to know about probiotics. Yep. And it was like such a juxtaposition. Yep. You know, where'd Taylor Swift come from? There, and there's a few. Um, I wrote for uh, Inc. Magazine for about two and a half years. And there's like a number of things that, you know, we all saw work every single time it's you know celebrity names okay that's the reason why it's elon musk did this jeff bezos did yes, this right because yes. you're like i gotta know right um big numbers big right? numbers so it's like okay. delta just lost 500 million doing you know you're okay. like i gotta know you know um other is uh like timely this just happened okay so then people are like i gotta know what just happened yeah um and then obviously like surprising right these surprising results or these unexpected results or these, you know, things you didn't know about. Unexpected. Yeah. Okay. Can I suggest another one? Yeah. I'm curious that this, if you saw this and whether it would have been on that list, if it was recognized or not, but social proof. So an example would be like the entire internet is freaking out over this one photo of a snail. Yes. <laughs> yeah, completely. Like, you know, all these people must be yep. like curious about something. Yeah, five you know? five thousand workers just read this email and and walked off the job site. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the social proof. social proof's a good one too. Yeah. So you have so once you learn what those things are. Yeah, and social proof for those who are hearing this term for the first time, it comes from the concept that if a lot of people are doing something, it must be true. Mm -hmm. So if a lot of people are checking out a photo, it must be interesting. If a lot of workers are walking off of a job site, they must have had a damn good reason for doing it. Yep. And social proof is a concept used by businesses and marketers to make a business seem more yeah. like, you know, something that, uh, desirable. Yeah. It's it's the reason why, you know, rappers wear jewelry or why Instagram entrepreneurs are taking pictures on private jets. You know, it's like 
it doesn't matter if it's real or fake or whatever. What they're doing is they're trying to engineer social proof. Well, and it's also the reason why when you scroll past a video on your newsfeed and it has 10 million views, you're more likely to click yep. watch and see what the buzz is about than if it has a thousand views. Yep. You know, one of my best friends has this quote that I love, and it is, nothing attracts a crowd like, like a, a crowd. crowd. <laughs> that's a good one. And that's why if you're walking through a mall or something, you see a bunch of people gather around something, you're like, oh, what does everyone gather around looking yep. at? So these, all of these techniques were, you know, uh, same, same thing. You know, when I graduated from college, all of my teachers were authors. You know, that was kind of the benefit of going to an art, an art school in Chicago. And their work was impressive, but they all kind of told us like, hey, you don't really make a living as a writer, even as we're about to graduate from school, right? Like we're, okay. we're getting our diploma and yeah. like ready to go out into the world. And they're like, P.S., you picked the wrong major. No one makes a living doing this. And you should be prepared to like work as a barista and write your novel on the side mm. or go work at a publishing company, you know? And the competitive part of me, right? I had already done the gaming journey, I had already done bodybuilding, and I sat yeah. there and I was furious. And I was like, there is no way that if there's a Stephen King in the world that I can't have my own version of that. Mm. So when I went on this journey of, I'm gonna teach myself how to build myself as a writer, these are all the techniques that I, that I was looking for. You know, how do you get people's attention? You know, how do you get them to understand what you're trying to communicate to them? And so as I learned all of them from a marketing perspective, I just applied them to my own writing. Fascinating. You're walking out of that college, you got the diploma in your hand. Yep. You realize that this is not a paycheck and it's not even gonna get you one. Yep. But you knew you had what it took because you had done it in two arenas before. Yep. So what did you do next? So the third, the third and fourth arenas were um, related, related but different. Um, the third arena was building myself as a writer on the internet. So that was the challenge of I'm gonna you know write every day on Quora. Okay. And it was. And were you not built because you were writing under a video gamer name? Yeah, that was like a different world. You know, I mean, I, I was writing under my gamer alias. And, and it was all gamers. It was all so gamers. It's tough, tough to move that audience over. Yeah, and I and I learned too. So uh, another big thing that I really advocate for is. You know, a lot of writers, I, I did this too, I made this mistake, is they sit in their room and they write and they never share. And so they never actually know if what they're making is going to resonate or have an impact, right. right? And what I learned writing on Quora is that I was starting to get data, right? So I would write an answer and one would go viral and then I'd write an answer the next day and it would get no views. And you feel like they're both just as good. Right. right. Yeah. So what that taught me is it, it started to show me what were the things that people actually wanted to hear about. And from me specifically, you know, what did they care about? And what I realized even as I was bodybuilding at the time was that people didn't really care about uh, what I was eating or what my workout routine was. They cared about my mentality or the habit or the life lesson because I was better at vocalizing that than I was vocalizing why you should eat 23 grams of protein because a pro bodybuilder could tell them that got it right okay so i was i realized where my strength was and so i slowly started to pivot and go you know at the beginning i was a bodybuilder that wrote and by the end i was a writer that 
I was still lifting, right? And I, I went okay. through this whole transition. Yeah. And um, and that was in Quora. So you started Quora yep. answering all the bodybuilding questions. Yep. And then I slowly pivoted to life lessons and wow. habits. And, wow. Um, and I started writing at the beginning of, it was either 2014, I think it was 2014-ish. Um, by the end of the year, I was one of the most read writers on the entire platform. And in 2015 was when I like really hit my stride. And because I had like learned through my habit, I was like, okay, now I know what to double down on. Okay. And at the end of 2015, I went to the Quora Top Writer Conference in New York. And uh, one of the guys that Quora pulled me aside and was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you're, you're the most read writer on the entire platform. And this is a platform with 200 million people. You know, I mean, this was like, my answers were going viral, like often. Wow. And I was averaging probably one or two, one or two million views a month, every month. Wow. Like, and is this platform still ripe for the picking? I oh, mean, yeah, a lot of yeah. people don't even know about yeah, it, right? You've people, got me wanting to go answer a question a day. Yeah, and people just... Should I do that? Like, should people do that? Is that a good strategy still? It depends on what you want out okay. of it. But right. yeah, I okay. still encourage it. Okay. Um, but when that happened, I was like, okay... I did the first thing that I wanted to do. I, I found my voice. I figured out kind of what, what I wanted to write about and what people cared about. Now I had to figure out how I was going to make money from it. Because Yeah, because you're not getting paid on Quora at paid. all, right? They don't do any type of rev share nope. like a YouTube creator might get. Exactly. Okay. So for writers, you know, if you're a YouTuber, you know your path. You know, subscribers, then advertising revenue. Yes. Writers don't really have that. And so I had to get creative and think, how am I going to do this? Um, it originally started, I got, I got paid per page view writing for Inc. Magazine. So people don't know this, but um, when you write for these publications, if you get paid for it, you're getting paid pennies on the dollar because all they're doing is arbitraging the math of, yeah, you know, this is what we make from ads. Yeah. So we'll pay you pennies and then... And they're in a quantity game. Yeah, they're pumping out. Yeah. So then my next step was writing for Inc. I ended up becoming one of their top 10 most popular columnists. I was bringing in hundreds of thousands, millions of page views every month, but it was like an extra 800 bucks a month. You know, it was like, I was like, now I can save a little bit of money because I was making nothing at this marketing agency. Okay. So then I found that and went, okay, if that's like the only stream of income, what else can I do to make money as a writer? And that's when I got introduced to ghostwriting. And what happened was, uh, basically, I quit my job and said, I'm going to go all in on me being a writer. I can cover half my rent from Inc. Magazine. I'm just going to trust that I can cover the other half by freelancing. And I was living in a, you know, studio apartment in Chicago. Like I was, you know, was not living. Right. And, uh, and my first month, I ended up doubling my income because I had found a, uh, a founder who was like, I want to tell my story and I read your stuff all the time. Will you help me with my writing? And that turned into two founders and then, you know, a CEO and then multiple CEOs. And then next thing I knew, I was talking with my, one of my closest friends, Drew. And I said, you know, I want you to know what's happening. I just quit my job. And three months later, I'm making six figures ghostwriting for people. I think I found something and I convinced him to quit his job. And we built a company called Digital Press, and we started ghostwriting and working with founders and CEOs based on recorded phone calls. 
we would interview them, we record the call, and then we'd take their words, clean them up, and put them in the style of article that I had seen go viral. Right. And we climbed, I mean, we became a seven-figure company in less than 10 months. I mean, we just like... Yeah, you guys were crushing it and getting some really big names. Yeah, publicly traded companies. Don't all want to reveal their names. Yeah. the, the wind behind their sails and putting out their content. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I always like to asterisk, you know, it's all their own thoughts. Right. They're just not going to sit down. And yeah. Write. You'd interview them and then yep. put the thoughts out. Yeah. So that was, you know, what was cool about that experience um, is it showed me that, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can make money as an artist. And everyone, especially in the writing world, is like, I'm just going to pray that I get a book advance. You do the math. You're not making anything. You're literally making nothing. So for me, I've always had this mentality of how can I do it myself and how can I um, take these experiences and ladder them up to something bigger that other people may never have considered. You know, if you graduate with a degree in fiction writing, no one's telling you that a viable path is to go be a ghostwriter for Silicon Valley founders. Yeah. Right. So by finding that. I, you know, I learned that. And then I basically took all those skills and just keep applying it to my own, my own work. Fascinating. So what else do you do to make these articles go viral? We talked about telling an interesting story and mm -hmm. we talked about merging the headline. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other strategies? Cause I know you've got a whole system. For this. Yeah. So yeah. there's strategies in the writing and then there's strategies in the distribution. So in the writing, um, the big, the biggest thing is uh, we had this, term that I picked up in college called the rate of revelation. You're like the king of this, right? Is how quickly are you giving someone new information? Mm, right? I have never heard of this. Before. Oh, really? No, this is the first time hearing about it. Okay. So the rate of revelation, right? Is like when you're reading a story, mm -hmm. a very slow rate of revelation is I walked into the room and the room had a soft carpet and the carpet felt squishy under my toes. And like you're sinking deeper into the moment, but there's no real new information, mm. right? You're describing it and it's just going on and on and on. And fiction's notorious for this and it drives me crazy. A very fast uh, rate of revelation is I walked into the room and then a guy with a knife came running in. And the next thing I know, a helicopter lands in the front yard. And there's all of these, these actions that are, it's, it's a new scene, it's a new moment. And yeah. so it's forcing you to move forward, right? Okay. Sales copy is all about rate of revelation, right? Because you want to move the person yes, down the page. Yes. And you have to keep them engaged. Have to keep them they engaged. They are gone. So what I realized again through output is I was I had written, you know, thousands of answers and articles on the internet. And every time I would write one, subconsciously I would delete a sentence. You know, the next time I would write one, I would feel like I didn't need to describe something as much. And so what ended up happening is my articles became these like ultra compressed uh, reads where the moment you started, you could not stop reading because every sentence was some big rate of revelation that was moving you forward. So a compliment that people would often give me is as soon as I start reading one of your articles, I'm done. I finish it because I'm pulling you down the page. And so whenever I work with someone, that to me is what I'm giving them. Yeah. John Carlton calls that the greased slide. Yeah. 
yeah, you're, for, you're taking all of this information, you're going, I'm gonna delete anything that is not absolutely necessary so that the moment someone yeah. starts reading, they're gonna read the whole thing, Yeah. right? And that's an art, that is hard work. Um, and then it's the other things we talked about, the size of the question, you know, framing the headline as, um, you know, one of the things that I thought about a lot at Inc. is you have to give the reader the question and a hint of the answer in the headline. So some people will write a headline like, you know, uh, three interesting ideas that can change the world. But you have to give them um, something else that makes them go, well, why does this matter to me? Right. Right? Yeah. You know, so you might say three interesting ideas that can change the world according to some scientist Elon who Musk. just, yeah, according to whatever. Or Taylor Swift. According to Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. So you have to give them the question and the answer in the headline so that they see that mm. and go, this is this is the question I have, and you're gonna give me the result, the answer by the end of it. Okay, That's got it. That's the promise. So put the question and a tease of the answer in your headline. Yep. That's a trick. Yep. Okay, great. And then um, and then uh, other things that I think uh, people just don't really um, understand from a foundational standpoint is like when, if you're asking someone to read what you wrote or listen to your YouTube video or listen to your podcast or whatever you can't like force them to buy the thing that you want them to buy right like you have to give them so much that whatever result you want out of it they come to realize on their own accord so a lot of times when I'll start working with someone, they'll be like, well, in the first paragraph, I really want to mention to everyone, you know, the course that I'm selling, or I really want everyone to go to our landing page and sign up for our newsletter. And it's like, that's not why the person's there. The person's there because they want something from you, some piece of knowledge. You have to give that to them, then give them more, then give them even more. And then somewhere in there, subtly be like, hey, and also this is here if you want it, but I'm not expecting you to have it. Mm. And that subconscious thought is what makes them ultimately go well now i want it because you're not forcing me to have it wow does that make sense it does it's a lot to take in listen to that three times it's, yeah and and the way that you know a very simple way of executing this is you use the thing that you want to promote as context or the scene for the thing that you're talking about for example, if someone wants to talk about their company, instead of giving seven paragraphs to how great your company is, give seven paragraphs to the question the reader has, and then say, for example, when I'm working on procrastination habits at our company, Link, one of the things that we do is, and so you're using the company as the scene. Ah. You're not telling them you should pay attention to us because we're awesome, yes, right? Yes. You say, here are the hiring tips I want you to have. By the way, these are the things that we do at our company. That's so interesting. So I recently joined YPO, which is an organization mm -hmm. of business founders. Yeah. And in it, you get placed in a thing called your forum, hmm. where you meet with six to eight other founders once a month, hmm. and you discuss business and personal issues. And when someone tells their story or has a Thing they're trying to get some advice on you're actually not allowed to give advice you're not allowed to say hey you should do this or if i were you hmm. you have to answer saying 
I was in a similar situation and this is what I did. Interesting. You actually not even allowed to give advice. Huh. And I think part of the reason why is because it's confrontational and people learn better from hearing the story. Mm-hmm. You learn better from hearing the story and it doesn't feel as abrasive, right? Yes, yes. It's not as in your face. So when you're reading and someone's like, let me tell you why I'm so great, you're turned off, right? Absolutely. That's why I tell people when they're designing their website for their business or for themselves and they have their like about us page or your about oh, me page, God, yeah. it should never actually be about you. It should be about the customer. Yeah. It should be about all the results you get for your clients. Yep. It should be about the amazing impact that your clients have experienced because of you, but their results first. Yep. Yeah, you're giving them the thing that they, you're answering their question. Yeah. That was the whole thing that I learned yeah. from Quora, right? You're yeah. answering their question. Yeah. Um, and then something that's interesting on the distribution side is I, so I have a very uh, different way of thinking about distributing writing and content than most people. A lot, the whole strategy that most people tend to subscribe to is um, I'm going to put something on my blog and I'm only going to put it on my blog because I want everyone on my site and, you know, me, 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 mm -hmm. me, me. Um, I disagree with that because to me, it becomes, it's an opportunity cost, right? It, do I want to spend all of my time and energy getting everyone to my destination but missing out on the other audiences? Or am I willing to sacrifice and say, maybe people won't read this on my site? But that's okay because they're still reading me, right? So yeah. my philosophy is to take the thing that you write or you publish and to put it in as many places as possible. So I the system that I ended up using is, you know, I'm gonna put it on either my site or whatever original destination. I'm gonna put it on Quora and attach it to an, uh, a question. Okay. I'm gonna same content, kind of a different start. Not even, honestly. Okay. Like, I'll write an article and then just find a question that's related to the thing I wrote about. Oh, interesting. And okay. then I'll take that same thing and put it on Medium. And I'll take that same thing and put it on LinkedIn. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. Okay, gotcha. And the reason is because if you're in one of those environments, you're reading in that environment. You know, you're not really in the business of, I'm going to scroll through my feed and go to someone else's site. Like you want to stay in that environment. That's why you opened that app in the first That's place. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. So to me, I'm less concerned with, did you come to my site and did you convert or whatever? It's more about, did you read something of mine? And did you think to yourself, wow, I really liked that article by Cole. I want to read something else. Because that is more valuable long-term than even like, I captured your email. That's such a short way of, a short-sighted way of thinking about it. So as a result, I'm way more focused on how do I build a library and a web where almost no matter where you are on the internet, you're going to read something of mine. Oh, I love that. You know, I used to see Grant Cardone everywhere in article form mm -hmm. before Instagram popped up. He was all over Business Insider and mm -hmm. places like that where he was just syndicating his own articles. Yep. It did really well for him. Yeah. And and you know, people don't really understand how written content gets syndicated. So they think, you know, like, oh, I can only do this or I can only do this. But if you really learn what the rules are of the game, you can pretty much take anything and put it anywhere. Yeah. So something else I, I 
I met Ben Hardy, mm -hmm. who is the top medium writer. Yeah, yeah. And he told me that he would take his old content and put it up three months later with a new headline. I do that And he just time. didn't give a fuck. Yep. And so I started doing that with my Instagram content. I'd take something from a few months ago and I'd put it up with a new picture. And I'd get just as many great comments on it yep. as the original, even from some of the same people. Because people forget, one. Two, even if they remember, reading the same thing again, you have that refresher where it's giving you the, the things at a different time in your life mm -hmm. where they might be more applicable. And also the human brain, you know, our retention is just not that good when it comes to learning lessons that we want to apply. Yep. Sometimes we got to hear something three times before we actually be like, okay, I'm going to use this to, to transform my life. So that's, I'm glad you said that. Um, so one of the philosophies that I, that I live by and base a lot of my decisions on is doing what is both timely and timeless. So this was something that I was taught by a mentor of mine in Chicago, um, the guy I worked for at the marketing agency. And the whole idea is that, you know, if you're only being timely, then your articles like, you know, Taylor Swift just did this, here's what you need to know. That article you can't repost three years later, right? It was only timely. Yes. And so it has a shelf life of like two days. Yes. Okay. Timeless is like think and grow rich, right? Yes. You could read that book 50 years from now and it would still apply. Mm -hmm. So the whole secret and goal is how do I write things that are really timely and applicable to the world that we live in now, but are timeless enough where three years later, I can still share it again. And it's just as... Love that. It's just as applicable, right? Yes. And because I've done that, and I've built a library of hundreds, thousands of articles that live in that intersection, I can keep reposting my stuff because it has a very long shelf life. Yeah. Right? So if you think about it that way, your content isn't, how do I just do this and then get the result and then I'm done? You, what you're building is an asset that then can pay you dividends down the road. I love that. It's like Ryan Holiday talks about the perennial bestseller. Yeah. Write a book that's going to keep selling forever. Yep. Don't just write something that's in the moment trendy that's going to have one shot of success. Yep. And then if you fail, people aren't even going to find it in a few years. Yep. So Love the that. more, yeah, the more you do that, then the longer, you know. I still, honestly, the past uh, year just building uh, the business and everything, it was so time consuming mm -hmm. that I was not able to write as often as I would have liked. But I would continue sharing my articles. And I still, even though I haven't written anything new in, you know, months and months, that's not true. I still write new things, but I still average hundreds of thousands of views every month because wow. the library is so big yes. that it just still it's clocks. timeless content. Yeah. Yeah. So digital press is going in a different direction now. Yeah. Yeah. So we scaled uh, very quickly um, and we ended up, you know, having, I think, 20, 20 full-time people at our, at our peak. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just ended up realizing, you know, it was a it was a terrific gift um, and a great experience. But I love writing. That was why I got into it, you right. know. And I I think it was my curiosity of I can build this thing that's scalable and that's great, and I can you know run in this direction. But you know, I got better at being a founder. I didn't get better at being a writer. And I think that eventually I had to come to terms with that and go this isn't what I ultimately want to do. 
Yeah. So we decided to scale it back and essentially it's, you know, still me and my co-founder drew and, um, working more with a select group of people rather than, you know, we were working with 50, 60 clients at a time. I mean, it was, you know, it was ballooning, but it, then I realized we were getting into the volume game. I didn't want to do volume. I wanted to do really great work with a select group of people. Yeah. And you're also going to have more time now to do your own writing. Yeah. And I know you're working on a book. Several. A couple other things. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to share yet? Um, and we're going to have to do this again. Yeah. Because you've got so many great insights, so many techniques of storytelling that everyone can apply. And I think someone could listen to this episode that we just did four times. And There's a lot crammed in there. Still not be able to apply it all right away. So this, I'm actually co-authoring a really cool book right now with um, two other guys. And it's about the idea of uh, category creation. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't want to share too much because honestly, I'm, I'm the one who's been invited to sit at the table. So <laughs> this awesome. is more of their project and I'm, yeah. I'm just co-writing and helping them write mm-hmm. it. Uh, but it's it's really opened my mind and taken all these concepts and kind of like gotten it to the next level, which is this idea of when you create a category for anything, product, service, you know, song, whatever, what you're doing is you're you're communicating a different point of view that gets the person to understand, hey, this is the way I used to see the world. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me that I can see the world differently. And that different point of view gives me a radically different result that I didn't know was possible for myself, right? So for I'll, just a random one, because I was talking to someone last night about it, um, right? Like Bird, the scooter company. Yes. Right? The previous point of view is like the only way that you can get around your neighborhood, right? By car, by foot, you know, you have yeah, your or transportation. You have your own bike. Or you have your own bike, right? Yes. Bird comes along and goes, different point of view or a shared electric scooter, mm-hmm. right? When you're able to achieve that result in someone's mind, you don't have to sell them because they've already sold themselves. They've already bought into the point of view that you're giving them. They're yeah. saying, I don't want to see the world with four transportation options. I want to see it with five. And so then anything that you do on top of that, you're just driving the nail home deeper and saying, and we have all these benefits and we have all these things. So this idea of how do you create a different category for yourself is so interesting to me because I didn't ever really realize that that's what I was doing already, right? We did that with digital press. Everyone else is get your blog post here, get it as cheaply as possible. Everyone's competing for blog post company. We come out and we say, no, 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 we're not a blog post company. We're an executive thought leadership writing company. And that's a different category. Yeah. Right? So I'm really excited about this project and we'll probably go on a bunch of podcasts and talk about it. And it's it's really awesome. cool because it's it's opened my eyes to all of these tools and techniques that I that weren't conscious. And now I have a language for them. And now I want to share that with other people and go, this is what I was doing with writing the whole time. I just didn't realize it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I actually speak about copywriting in a new way that's very similar to what you just said. Hmm. People now ask me, what is copywriting? 
And I hate that word because people that don't know marketing yeah, or entrepreneurship just... think it's like, oh, you work at a patent office? <laughs> you know, so copy is writing the type of marketing messaging that gets people to buy. It's mm -hmm. telling brand stories that yep. bring in customers. And the way I describe it now is that what copywriting is, is taking the story of a product or service and then knowing what your prospect's story is and how they think that their current story is going to end. Hmm. And then showing them the product or service story, showing them the brand story to your prospect. Having them discover that story and think that their own story could end a little bit better. A different ending. You're yes. giving them a different ending. That's a yes. great way of putting it. So it's the intersection of the brand story and the prospect story to have a happier ending. Yep. You said this on a podcast that I listened to a while ago that was um, really interesting. I think you had said your mentor told you to write the autobiography of the person. Of the person. Right? Of the person you're trying to sell. Yeah, or write speak to. Write as though you're them. Yep. Or speak to in an article. Yes. Yep. And I think, um, I think that's why, too, every time we talk, the, the knowledge overlap is always so interesting to me because even though... Uh, the writing that I do isn't really like, how do I sell someone? Right. But in a way, though, it still is because what I'm selling is I'm selling that by the time you finish reading it, you believe that I am a credible source of information. So I'm selling you mm. my idea, mm. right? Yeah, selling the idea. Yeah. And the way I think of it, I love that, uh, that quote in Boiler Room where Ben Affleck says, a sale is made on every phone call you're either selling them some stock or they are selling you on their reasons not to buy. Mm -hmm. I think a sale is made on every view of a piece of content. Mm. You're either selling them to keep on reading or they are sold on strolling the fuck on to the next thing. Yep, They're sold on this is not interesting enough to stop and read. Yep, This is not interesting enough to press that play button yep once they're in it they are e reading that idea and saying this is interesting enough for me to apply to my life or it's not i'm not i'm gonna leave this idea here mm -hmm. so there are all types of different sales that are made on every piece of content the first is to get them to read it the second one is to get them to apply it and then i like what you said about the third sale and that is do they see you as a credible source and i actually think that is necessary for that thing of will they apply it or not, if they don't see you as a credible source, they're certainly not gonna apply the idea. Yep, yeah. So <coughs> um, that, that to me is, I think one of the most interesting parts about it is that you know, a lot of people walk in saying, oh, I don't, I've never written anything before, or, you know, what am I a credible source on or why should, you know, it doesn't really, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's that we all have things that we would, that we can share. It's what Quora taught me, right? Like you don't have to be, going back to our original analogy, you don't have to be the Olympic person. You can be the person that's two, three, four levels ahead of someone and just share what you know and that person will learn and get to their own next level. Yeah. You know? And, and one of the best ways to learn is by teaching. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. The more I have vocalized these things, you yeah. know, and training our writers and writing about it and it's, 
it's gotten me to become conscious of the decisions and systems that I use. Yeah. So I, I'm a huge advocate. I think more and more people are realizing it, this idea of personal branding, but it's all you're really doing is saying, these are the things I'm already going to tell you over coffee. Why wouldn't I just save myself the 500 coffee conversations, put it into an article and let you read it on the internet? Boom. Yeah. Awesome, man. So much great content. Thanks for being here. We definitely got to do this again. Yeah, it's we got fun. So many rabbit holes to go down. And if you're watching this at home and you weren't taking notes, this is one of those episodes. Just go back to the beginning, get out your pen and paper and write down what this man shared because there's so many lessons in here on how to improve at any skill, how to improve your writing, of course, how to improve your storytelling, how to just you know, master the art of capturing attention mm-hmm. that can go so deep and there's so many ways to apply them that, you know, do yourself a service because what you learn from this episode will benefit you in so many areas of your life, whether it's writing a resume or having a conversation with your boss or having a conversation with your wife or deciding to pick up a new hobby anything like that so much application and i i can't even wait for the next episode to go with you on some of this stuff man cool so thanks for coming thanks for having me awesome buddy all right thanks so much for watching if you want to hear a story that's even wilder than that one click here you only have five seconds though five four three two one go